0: Again, if you have your Bibles, please open them to chapter 12 of the Gospel of St. John. We will read it, then I'll pray, and then uh, we'll talk about it, okay? If you're there, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Can you believe this guy? Jesus said, leave her alone so that you may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Let's pray. Father, I... I thank you that you have accomplished it all for us. That Jesus is powerful enough to accomplish it all for us, to pay for all of our sins, to live righteously for us. Today, once again, we are desperate, desperate for you. We are desperate to have Mary's heart. Father, I pray that You would not allow any of us to leave this room here with a Judas-like heart, but transform our hearts, transform our minds. Give us the blessing of loving You and living for You. just like Mary and Martha and Lazarus do in this beautiful passage of Scripture where, where the love of Your disciples match the worth of your beauty. I pray that to be a reality in our lives and for that to be true. You have to act. And it is our prayer today that you would act powerfully in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going to look at basically two hearts, two types of heart. The heart of Mary that lives with all she has for Jesus. Mary who is alive, Judas who is dead, and Jesus who came to die. Those are basically the three truths that we're going to talk about, that we're going to see, that I'm going to point out in this text, the reactions to Jesus' power and grace and love, and resurrecting power. We see, in the end of chapter 11, that, the chief priests, and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the council, of the national Jewish leadership, they decide to put Jesus to death, because, Jesus has been, operating too many signs. They figure, if we let him keep going like this, the Romans will not appreciate it, because the crowd will crown him king. And there can be no king but Caesar. The Romans will see this, and they'll crush us. They'll destroy the temple. They'll take our place, our position, our status. We have a good gig going here. We don't want to lose it. So it is better that Jesus dies, one man, and we save the nation. Now, Caiaphas had no idea that he was speaking prophetically the very words that got Jesus on that cross, that got Jesus in that grave, that killed Jesus. John says that he didn't say that of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. He said that out of his own Will with his own purposes, but God was speaking louder and much more uh, uh, in depth than he could ever imagine. And yes, it is better that Jesus dies, one man, to save all of us. The chapter ends with Passover at hand, chapter 11. Passover at hand, the last few verses. And there is a, a, a warrant for his arrest that is issued. The authorities say, if anybody sees this man, let us know so we can come and arrest him. Now, Jesus sees all these opposition and Jesus flees. He goes away to Ephraim because his time has not arrived yet. He sees that this is happening and he is going to die. He's going to get arrested soon. But he doesn't stay laying low for very long. He comes back to Bethany, where his friend Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. Now, Lazarus had been dead for four days, buried for four days. When he said, open up the grave, his sister said, but Lord, he's been dead for a while. There's going to be an odor. He was decaying already. His body was decomposing. Jesus' resurrecting voice issues one command. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. And he's alive and he's sitting now at this table. That's a miracle. That's a greater miracle than had ever been performed before. That instills fear in them. They react The the authorities react in a way that, okay, we've got to kill him, we've got to do it now. They make an official decision, which is much more, the opposition now has escalated to, now this is official, this is legal, Jesus is a a wanted man. It's much more than a threat of mob violence in other situations. We are told that they wanted to stone him, that Jesus went away because his hour had not arrived yet. And we are told in in, in John 7.30, for example, so they were seeking to arrest Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. John 8.20, these words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, but no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. So after being told in more than one occasion that His hour had not come yet, the hour of His death, we read in the beginning of chapter 12 that Jesus therefore goes to Bethany. Now, therefore is a very interesting word because it connects chapter 12 to chapter to chapter 11 again. The the gist of it is basically it's pretty simple. They were seeking to arrest him. <laughs> therefore Jesus went there. We were told before in different different places that Jesus went away, that they did not lay a hand on him because his hour had not arrived. But here, that's not what we are told. We are told that they want to kill him. Therefore, or because of that, or the conclusion is, since they're looking for me, I'm going to show up in Bethany, where I had just performed the miracle that made them come to this decision. We see that Jesus is moving now, not away from the cross, but towards it. This is the first thing I want to point out today, that Jesus came to die. Jesus is not a victim of circumstances. It was not one series of unfortunate events that got him on that cross. But the purpose that Jesus always had was that he would come to die. Remember chapter 10? I am the good shepherd who give his life for the sheep. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. That's how the author of Hebrews puts it. Is there any other blood that is more valuable than the Lord Jesus? Is there any other blood, any other man that could die to save sinners. For if someone dies for their own sins, they're being executed for their own sins. They don't have any power to save anybody else, nor themselves if the crime is committed against the eternal God. But the Bible tells us that there is no other mediator between God and man but the man Christ. Jesus and his purpose all along was to die so that by believing in him we could live. Jesus died to give life. And He has power over death. He alone, the author of life, is the one that has the power over death and life. He alone has the power to resurrect someone from the dead like He just did. And He alone has the power to bring His own self from the dead. Just days away now. And He fearlessly is moving Towards the cross, not against it, not away from it, but towards it, towards his death to save his sheep, to give his life for the sheep. So he arrives in Bethany, six days before the Passover. I actually happen to believe that this dinner didn't happen right when he arrived there. They probably had no notice that he was going to show up. We know from parallel passages in Mark and Matthew that this took place in, in the house of Simon the leper. This is a planned dinner. This did not take place at, at Martha's uh, house, Lazarus' house. This is something that they planned, and they planned it to honor Jesus. Lazarus is there. And Lazarus just mentioned here, he's not mentioned doing anything because he doesn't have to. If the purpose of the whole banquet is to honor Jesus, Lazarus just has to be sitting there. He's a former dead man. He doesn't have to exalt Jesus with his words, although I think he probably did. His presence alone made the opposition think of killing him. Because this man was dead and now he lives. And he's walking around, celebrating, throwing banquets to honor this Jesus. So he's sitting there. And they want to honor the Lord. Martha is serving. You know Martha. (laughs) She's doing her thing. She's honoring God. She's honoring, worshiping Jesus. And then her way of doing it is making sure that the table is bust. She wants to make sure that the bread is warm. The cups are being refilled. They're clean napkins. Table is clean. Plates are served. Everybody is happy and celebrating Jesus. Man, do we need Marthas in this world. And Mary, you know Mary, she's worshiping her Lord, the one whom she loves. She is given the best portion, like we are told in in the Luke text. And she's breaking, I mean, she's breaking cultural conventions. She's done it before, she's, she's doing it again. Women are not disciples, they don't sit at the rabbi's feet. To learn from them. Women serve. And maybe listen from a a distance, quietly. They don't just sit there among the men and and just learn from the Master. But that's what she's going to do here. And she's going to do even more. She's going to celebrate. She's going to love her Lord. To worship her Lord. To honor Him. The man who has just... Raised his her brother from the dead, she's going to do it she's going to do it extravagantly. Joss were dropped when she did what she did. She comes in because she is alive. Jesus came to die, and now we'll see that martha is the Mary is alive, and she comes in. she has a bottle of perfume of ointment and and the pound here doesn't. I understand it doesn't have a whole lot to do with weight, but more volume. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know, oh, volume but weight, I guess. Uh, so I don't know, it's, maybe it's like a can of soda, maybe it's a little bit less. But the point is, depending on how dense it is, uh, it's not very big, it's not a huge gallon of anything. It's a small thing, maybe the size of a soda can. It's very expensive. Very, very expensive. Can you imagine? I mean, in, in today's scenario of California, 2012 minimum wage, 300 an area, which is the price that Judas puts on it. Uh, he probably he's right; he's not exaggerating it because he loved money. We're told, right? So he's probably right; he's not exaggerating. That estimation may vary from from like 16 grand, 17 grand to 28,000, depending depending on on how you do that. Honestly, for a bottle of perfume, it doesn't even matter to me if it's seventeen grand or twenty-eight. Twenty-eight, 28,000 dollars. Seventeen thousand dollars. Does it even matter? I mean, if it's more than twenty bucks, I'm not buying it. <laughs> so it, it, it's irrelevant. It's it's a dead debate for me. I'm I'm gone. She comes in with it and she's going to do, I, I think it's like a presentation to honor Jesus. And she brings it in and she anoints him. We know from the parallel passages as well that, that she anoints his, his head as well. She anoints the king's head as well. And she anoints his feet, a whole pound of perfume according to Judas one year salary a whole year's wages i mean i happen to think that they're wealthy i think that, i think there's a little evidence that that for the fact that they're wealthy they own their own, their, their uh their own house which was not necessarily normal more wealthy people had that the type of grave that, that, um, that he was in, that Lazarus was in, it was a rich man's grave, just like the one that Jesus borrowed for that weekend. Uh, so, he, they probably had money. This may be a, something that was inherited. This may be something that had been in the family for a while. I mean, this is a big deal because Lazarus was dead last week. They didn't even use it on him. They didn't even anoint Lazarus with this. Now, to think that someone had double that amount that they used that on Lazarus, and then they had some left over, maybe it's true. But then we're talking serious money. We're talking like like Bill Gates' money for that age. Uh, it was not the type of wealth that was around like this. It was like the wealth of kings who have stuff like that. It's possible, um, highly improbable. You know, it's not probable they had all that money. So this is. I happen to think that this is a big deal. You know, Lazarus died, and they didn't use it on their own brother. Jesus is alive. They want to honor Him. And that's what they do it. That's what they do it. Mary comes in, anoints His feet. Mary, she has a heart that is alive to God. And when that happens, it transforms you completely. Mary knew that Jesus' smelly feet. That's true. Jesus' smelly feet, dirty feet, is more worthy than the most beautiful, cleanest thing she has to offer, her hair. Elsewhere, we're told by the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 15, that the hair of the woman, the woman's hair, is her glory. Mary is joyfully using her glory like a rag to worship Jesus. Gladly, joyfully because she knows that our best present, the best gift that we can have for Jesus, that man can offer Jesus the best worship. Jesus is worth of it all and it's not enough to honor Him. She knew that, and and she does that. When Jesus makes you alive, your ambition becomes to please Him. You treasure Him. Your love is consistently, continually seeking to match His infinite worth and beauty and glory. It's a pursuit that you can't get enough of. Now we're looking at different hearts. We're looking at different types of heart. Judas, Mary. Please, I'm going to beg you this morning. Don't think that what I'm telling you is let's behave more like Mary. Let's seek to behave like Mary and not like Judas. Let's avoid behaving like Judas. Let's seek to behave like 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 Mary. That if in some way I communicate it that way, I'm not. Please forgive me. That's not my intention. That's not what John is wanting us to see. When Jesus makes someone alive, He transforms not only behavior. Not only behavior. There's a lot of type A people that that can change their behaviors. People stop smoking after 20 years. Just cold turkey. They say, I want to stop smoking. And they do it can care less about Jesus. There's a lot of strong, determined people that can do a lot of behavioral modification. That's not what I'm talking about. Is it good to behave like Mary? Of course it is. Is it good to behave like, G- like Judas and, and betray Jesus for a few hundred bucks? No, it's not. But this is, I mean, I want you to see that we're caught up in some, something much deeper than behavioral modification. The reason is, I mean, life's life's tsunamis are going to hit. You will have crises of faith, of perseverance, determination, sadness. You're going to commit sin. You're going to regret it deeply. People are going to sin against you. Jobs are, I mean, you name it. You name your trials. That is going to happen. And behavior modification is going to do absolutely zero for you. The only way you persevere is if you love Jesus. And for that to happen, we are desperate for Jesus to act. We don't turn love off and on. Well, I'm going to love somebody. I'm not going to love it anymore. You can't help it. For you to love Jesus, you have to see Him. He has to show Himself Himself to You you see Him and you love Him. And that's how you're going to battle life. This broken, sin-broken world in which we live, the only way to survive it and to not ship- shipwreck our faith is to love Him. That's what faith is. That's what Mary is doing and living is the essence of what saving faith is a heart that delights in God, a heart that loves God. This is the core of what <clears throat> Jesus has created us for. To worship Him, to love Him, to delight in Him fully, to find in Him your greatest strength and the object of your delight that you're gladly giving everything that you have and everything that you are, just like she's doing. This is probably the most Expensive possession this family owns. This probably lasted minutes. 20K, gone. A whole year of hard work, gone. One act of worship. And they are gladly, gladly doing. Now, have, have you ever been so caught up overcome with love for christ that you do just whatever you worship him with all your might you live for him in a way that it doesn't even matter how ridiculous it looks to those who are criticizing you how silly it looks to the world you don't even care because you love him but you're so caught up in his majesty and humility his power his glory his holiness and beauty and you're just overcome by who He is, that you own and possess that faith that beats the world, that overcomes the world. Moments when you feel that all of your love and allegiance in your thoughts and your whole being totally belong to Jesus. In the storms and waves of life, They have no power over you. They do not defeat you. And even when they hit you, you persevere because you have the hope of eternity in the one that raises the dead. Man, those moments are good. Oh, that God would give us glimpses of His glory like this more often that we would learn to be desperate for those moments, that we would learn to be desperate to commune with God in that manner, that we would beg Him corporately and alone in our prayer closet, that we would experience Him like this. And the only way to behave like this in a genuine manner is behave like Mary, is to have that heart, to have that heart, we have to experience Jesus. We have to commune and fellowship with the Father through faith in him. An external good behavior may be very well hiding a Judas type heart. And isn't that what we see him, what we see here? I think Judas had good appearance. He was the secretary of treasure. He walked with Jesus for three years. He had exposure, probably more than Mary actually, to Jesus' kindness, sweet presence, love, instruction, And I mean it's so true that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Mary loved Jesus. Judas loved money. He was a thief, and he stole from the ministry, from the tithes from from the offers that the disciples Jesus' followers gave to support the ministry of the Son of God. Mary loved Jesus. Judas loved money. Judas is dead. Jesus came to die. Mary is so alive. But Judas is dead. Verse 5, Judas, Judas, he opens his mouth now and Incredible, unbelievable disregard, insensibility. And with his words, he worships his God. Money. Money, money, money. That's all he cares about. Now, we know from the parallel accounts that um, in Mark 14 and, and Matthew 26, we know that Other disciples felt that way. I'm not going to say the same way because Judas didn't really feel that way. But he expressed something that the disciples were feeling like that. The Matthew account even says that they scolded her. Uh, I think Matthew means what Judas said. But uh, in, in any case, they felt like that. This is expensive, imported from India probably, ointment, perfume. This costs a lot of money. She's wasting all of this. We could feed a lot of people there with this money. The disciples felt like that. But John here, he doesn't expose the hearts of the other disciples. He exposes the the sinful, evil, unbelieving heart of Judas. The other disciples probably were actually puzzled. We feed the poor all the time. I mean, we could use that in a different way. But Judas had an agenda. He opens his sinful mouth that it's not not even worthy to, to say the name of Jesus. Judas is one of the most fascinating characters to me in the whole of Scriptures. Judas lived with Jesus. Judas witnessed incredible miracles. He witnessed the feeding of upwards of 20,000. He saw Jesus walking on the waters. He saw Jesus getting up in a boat and looking at the storm, looking at the sky and saying, Quit it. And the storm stopped. Judas witnessed Jesus healing someone from a distance, miles and miles away. Judas witnessed him saying, Jesus saying, little girl, get up. She was dead. Wake up, my little lamb. And all of a sudden, she gets out of the room, and she is alive. Can I eat something? Judas has seen all of that. Do you think of... I mean, the Bible studies that Judah's been to? I don't think there's a better seminary than that. Who'd you have for systematic theology? Oh, Jesus Christ. Who'd you have for preaching? Jesus Christ. Oh, when God created the world? Oh, it was awesome. Here's what I said. He had God incarnate teaching him the Bible. And he could not see the most obvious thing ever, that this man is the Son of God. His love for money kept him from ever coming to faith in Christ. And I want to tell you, it is going to do the same with you and me. If we love money, we cannot love God. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Apostle Paul says it this way In in first Timothy six, six through ten, he says, Now there's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we had food, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 24, says this. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus said it, Paul said it, Judas is exhibit A. He illustrated it. He illustrated the very truth that it is impossible to love money and serve God. Let it be a loving warning To us today, that we need to have our first love to be our first love. It's suicidal to not love God, to not pursue God, and allow yourself a lifelong pursuit of, of lesser loves, of lesser passions. That won't satisfy you, and in the end, they'll burn anyways. And we all are prone to wonder. We all are prone to love other things more than we love God. Or oh, how we need Jesus to protect our faith, to help us persevere. We're going to see in a few minutes, but we don't persevere because of determination, because we're type A, or because we're strong and we muscle through things. But we persevere because Jesus Himself protects our faith. Leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone. So she may keep it for the day of my burial. Verse 7, right? Leave her alone, so she may keep it. What in the world does Jesus want Mary to keep? It? What is it? Is it the perfume? The ointment is gone. (laughs) And obviously, since Judas would be interrupting and and condemning that, if Jesus wanted her to keep the perfume, Jesus would have said, Yeah, Martha, you know, uh, I'll deal with them. But, Oh, Mary, uh, let's keep the perfume. I want you to keep the perfume. Don't, you know, don't waste it all on me. But Jesus is doing the very opposite. Oh, how I hear the tone. I don't know that he yelled, but it, you know how sometimes, and I know it's a category mistake. I get that, but you know how you feel the heat in people's voices sometimes? They'll say something. They don't have to yell at you. My mom was the queen of doing that. You know the we'll talk at home oh my goodness, you just feel the heat and Mary is Jesus' little lamb. You know what I think he's doing? You know what I think the it is? It's this act of worship, it's this sense of wonder and awe at Jesus' resurrecting power. Jesus wants to protect her faith. He needs her and those who are around that are being impacted by it. Because that's what true worship does. He needs them to keep that sense of awe and wonder at Jesus' resurrecting power because in a few days, Jesus Himself will be dead. Dead. And if they don't have that confidence in Jesus' power to resurrect the dead, they'll be like, it's over, it was all a dream. What will be done of us now? They'll be like sheep without a shepherd, scattered. Hopeless. Without faith. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, Peter, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. What did Jesus pray for, Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. With your faith, you strengthen the ones around you. Your worship This is why it's so important to worship together, to not neglect the assembly of the saints, to have fellowship with your brothers and sisters, and to live with one another and share our burdens together, because with your faith, you strengthen your brothers' and sisters' faith. And they strengthen yours as well as they persevere, as they are broken over their sin, as they confess their sin to you, as they encourage you with hymns and spiritual songs, as they pray without ceasing with and for you. Do you see in the beginning of this passage that, that the fragrance of her worship, oh, or the perfume Fills the house, everybody's feeling it. But what is true about belief is also true about an evil, unbelieving heart. Judas opened his mouth and Jesus just publicly rebukes him Shut up, Judas! Stop spilling your, your money-loving discourse. You're going to ruin the whole thing. You're going to poison their hearts. You're going to take away hope. Oh, Jesus is not He's not about to let that happen to His sheep, that He's dying for them in just a few days. Jesus protects, protects their faith. He protects our faith. What was true then is true now that if we persevere it is because the eternal high priest lives forever to make intercession for us. You know, I hate saying no to my kids. Sometimes I have to or most of the times I have to because they're wicked and, and they ask me for the gnarliest stuff. God hates saying no to Jesus. But you know what? God has never said no to Jesus. Because Jesus is not wicked. And His desire is the Father's desire. And when He prays for you, today, today, when He prays for you, and He asks God, or He makes intercession, that, for you, and he asks God that your faith would not fail, that you would persevere. You know what God's answer is? It's yes. Now, I'm not a poet. I, I don't know how else to say it. If this does not encourage you through the trials of this life, I don't know how to say it more beautifully. But God the Father loves you. And His answer, if you're in Christ, His answer is 100% of the times, Yes, I'll strengthen His faith. I'll strengthen her faith. And that's how you persevere, because He protects our faith. Leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone. I'm dying for her faith. You know that cross thing I'm going to go through? That's going to purchase her faith as well. It's going to purchase her coming to me, her believing, her seeing, her worshiping. I'm not going to let you spoil the whole thing. I'm not going to let you take away the hope of my disciples, of all my sheep here, because you love money. She loves me. You love money. She sees the worth of my holiness. You love money. Money. She spends twenty thousand to worship me. You will betray me in a couple of days for a few hundred bucks. You don't see it, Judas. You do not see it. She is alive. You are dead, Judas. I came to die, and nothing will get in the way of that. Leave her alone, Judas. Judas had an unbelieving evil heart. And he was not alone. Verses 9 through 11, we see that many of the Jews found out that Jesus was there reclining at a table with, with uh, 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 this man that He raised from the dead, and Simon the leper, which I think Jesus had healed him because people didn't hang out with lepers, really, because they were declared unclean. Although, although leper was, was uh, a term for many skin diseases, but if he had the disease, even if it's another disease, and he was pronounced unclean by the rabbi, by the priest, uh, he wouldn't be in a dinner anyway. So one way or another, his disease had gone away, and here's a testimony to the grace of God anyways. For him to be honoring Jesus like that, I don't think it's, it's uh, uh, too far-fetched to think that Jesus had healed him. In any case, he loves Jesus. He's holding a banquet in his house, and he's worshiping Jesus. And people find out that they're there. They're there, and they want to see Jesus, of course. They know of this Jesus. They know things are happening. We're told in other instances that, that many of them were believing in Christ. And we're told here that many of them were seeing Jesus and Lazarus, who was a walking testimony. You know, the man was dead the other day. Now he is alive. Uh doesn't have to talk, doesn't have to speak, doesn't have to be a, a teacher, a preacher. It's like, you know, Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. He's like, I was dead, but now I live. Uh, it doesn't need a whole lot of exposition. doesn't need anyone to, to explain too much. And he became kind of like a touristic attraction. People were going to Bethany, who was a, a village, not very glamorous. There, I think there was nothing really to see there other than Lazarus. People were coming there just to see, you know, let me see this guy. He is, Wow, he is alive. When they see that, there is no denying the power of God. There is no denying that X mighty works like this are backing up 100% of Jesus' claims. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they had evil, unbelieving hearts. They loved other things more than they loved God. They were just as dead as Judas. These people had seen the goodness, kindness, and power of Jesus, and their hearts were utterly unmoved. Utterly unmoved. They don't have the excuse of lack of evidence. They have no excuse at all. Their desire was to keep their position, keep their religion, keep their status. Their desire was not to worship God. Their desire was to kill the one who had come to save their nation. The one that had been promised for thousands of years is finally here and they can't see it. So they... Conspire together. They plot together. We had decided to kill Jesus because he's performing too many miracles. It won't mean anything because there's irrefutable evidence of his miracles. His fame will keep on. We need to kill this guy as well. We need to take away the evidence. We need to do that, and that's what they decide to do. And I want to say, especially the Sadducees, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That that was their theology. This was it. You die. You don't get resurrected again. No physical bodies. That's it. So now they have a huge theological dilemma. Lazarus is a walking contradiction to their theology. So to some, some uh, segments of, of the Jewish leadership, which were smaller, uh, the Sadducees, it was even more expedient that they would kill Jesus. They had their own personal motivations, different ones. But the point is, it is suicidal to love other things, to have lesser loves in the place, in your heart, in your affections that only God is meant to fulfill. The sweet aroma of worship leads to life. And to devote yourself to a lifelong pursuit of lesser loves has the stench of death. Let us be those that are transformed by the Lord Jesus. Let us be those that love Him and worship Him and live in a way that it doesn't matter if the world is criticizing, opposing, because the only fuel to overcome this world is our faith in Him anyway. Let us be those, let us be those that live with all of our might and give Him all that we have. Let us be those that are not concerned with our own so-called glory. But let us be like Mary. Let us feel in a way that we're glad to use our glory like rags to worship Him, to cling His proverbial feet, Love Him in public. Worship Him in public and, and let that worship explode and, and impact those who are around us. I have experienced this in, 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 in a few different times. And one of them, I remember I was home. Uh, it was a Saturday afternoon. I was studying the scriptures and uh, my wife wasn't off. I was off. She wasn't off. She worked till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we had someone staying with us. And uh, But at this point, she wasn't in our house. And um, I was studying, and I decided to put a, 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 DV, a, a VHS tape back then on. It was a worship concert. I put it on. I wanted to listen to the music. I didn't even want to watch it because I was sitting elsewhere. Oh, I wasn't watching it. So I was listening to the music, and, and God showed up. And God just showed up in my living room. I, I left my, my computer. I sat down in front of, of the TV, and I kept... I had a prayer time and worshipful time and I was, I was uh, uh, singing the worship songs and it literally felt like God was in the room with me. His presence was so, so heavy. I was sobbing. And uh, a few minutes later, uh, this person walked in the house. She arrived and, and um, I left it on. This person is um, uh, an unbeliever, someone who did not uh, believe in Christ and had not um, given her life to Christ and trust in the work of Christ and person of Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And she just walked in, right? And um, I left it on, I I got my Bible, I kept studying it, said hi. And and I I guess she grabbed a cup of coffee or, or water and she was drawn to the TV and she kept watching it. She kept watching it, and, and, and I'm praying in my head. and um, She watched it for like five minutes, and she started bawling. Just started bawling her head off. And, and I think she was embarrassed. I don't know exactly what happened. We didn't really talk about it because I was kind of blown away as well. She just went to the room. She just laughed. She started crying uncontrollably, weeping. And she went to her room and, and, and left. All I was doing was, by the grace of God, I was worshiping the one and only true living God. He was present in the room. The sinner walked in and was broken. Let us be. Let us be those people. That are desperate to experience God in that way, that have that experience with God of trusting Him for the forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, our behavior, then from that, our behavior is is changed. And we live that type of worshipful life. And if we're not living that way, if those affections are not there, if we're not being transformed, if if your heart feels cold, know that we need to be desperate. That is the battle of faith, to love Him with all of your might and to live for Him with all of your might. And let us be desperate together. Let us be desperate together because this is the only way that we will persevere and make it to the end when one day we'll stand before the throne complete. And there we worship Him, and we will be free even from the presence of sin. Let us long together to be that people. Amen? Alright, let's pray. Oh Father, how desperate we are to have Mary's heart. We know that You and You alone can bring us from the dead. You alone can can make our hearts warm again when they f- when our hearts feel cold. We also know that if we trust in you, in Christ you protect our faith and that gives us great assurance. Oh, thank you for the intercession of Jesus. Thank you that he intercedes for us that our faith would not fail. I thank you so much for your word today. Let it be a warning, a loving warning. Let it impact our hearts and let us all leave here having Mary's heart. It's, it's our prayer today that we don't just walk out of here thinking this is a girl being a girl, being all sentimental, but let us realize that this is this is the core of saving faith and that we owe that to you in Jesus name I pray and I thank you that uh, you accomplish the, the work that you have started begun you will complete it in Jesus name